Okay, hello everyone. It says uh, office hours thirty nine. Uh, we're coming up on forty. This is that's crazy. Uh, we are missing uh, uh, a main character of uh, of these office hours today with Vatsal Shah. Vatsal Shah has recently uh, gone back to India for the first time um, since arriving in Canada and then the pandemic. And uh, with that, uh, it's also his birthday. Uh, so Vatsal, uh, you're might be sleeping right now. You might be doing other things. I'm not exactly sure. But happy birthday! Uh, it's you know it's a pleasure to work with you. It's an honor to work with you. I've learned so much. And, uh, you know, very grateful to have you as both, uh, you know, a business partner, but also a friend. Um, and uh, guys, appreciate you being here and joining me. Uh, the three Musketeers, I'll let it say, stupid. stupid um, but uh, this is uh, another, another, I would say, exciting, a little bit of a roller coaster of a week uh, in, in some ways, but I think we're ending on a high note, which is always great. And uh, look forward to a good discussion here today. So I'm quickly, I'm Tyler. Uh, CEO still struggle with uh, that title, but uh, you know, excited to continue to push us forward as a team, as a company, doing a lot more product management stuff late, lately. So um, it's been nice to try to stop some of the marketing services work um, that we've done, which has been a big driver for business and focus on how can we make this product better and very happy to be playing that role and learning a lot along the way. So you guys do a great job. Sure. Uh, Lauren Collier here, staff accountant and administrator. We're doing a lot of uh, interesting interviews with people, some really good uh, applicants coming in. So excited to expand the team a little bit in the future. Nihal, uh, digital strategist here at Speak. Uh, currently just working on a lot of stuff on the content side and you know figuring out how we can scale our content, content efforts and keep this uh, this inbound train rolling. Inbound trains, okay. Um, where do, let's, I guess, I guess start just from uh, a top level um, in, in terms of what we're posted here. I apologize, I'm struggling. I drank my smoothie too quickly. Uh, is, um, this product market fit um, idea. And so talk a little bit about this last week. And it, sometimes it's nice when you have, for example, like email sort of less built up, you have active users and you can take this sort of plan and then move pretty quickly to at least try to deploy that and execute on that plan. And so, uh, you know, what we wanted to do in a way was measure how, how closely aligned is our product offering with what our, you know, our customers and then people have even tested and used the application. Um, what, what, are, what are they thinking about it? And so we asked a series of structured questions. Um, I've listed those questions I kind of personal blog post on TylerBride.com, originally taken from a HubSpot article and then traced back to I think hacking growth by Sean Ellis. Uh, and started to get responses, 15 responses to date. I think the aim was 50. Um, uh, I mean, it was 50. And, and it's, so it's a nice start and we've got some time to answer. And it's also going to be an ongoing um, process. Um, but starting to get some early signals back. And we'd just love to hear if you guys have any sort of first thoughts or impressions based on what uh, what these people are, are saying. I actually haven't really been hearing what they've been saying. Do you want to? I will. I'll, I'll quick you. Yes, I can do that. I'll, uh, I mean, not that we're going to, I will not share the response publicly, but I did drop in the link there. If you do want to take a quick look just to see, uh, I think Nihal's taken a little bit of uh, a deeper look at it. And then I, I believe basically up to date, uh, maybe one or two missing. Um, one thing I said, I said a couple times is, uh, I think these people are being too nice. Uh, like that, that is something I maybe didn't anticipate. Like obviously people like 
us like your team. And so we're getting some very, I would say, biased feedback from people who follow us for following us and our, our supporters. Um, people who say like, you know, they'd be very disappointed. Basically, this is the metric, very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, not disappointed. Basically, the app isn't useful or not applicable. Uh, I don't use the application. So what you're trying to get is basically 40% of people to say they're disappointed. I think for right now, we're hovering around 35%. And uh, there's a bunch of people who would say somewhat disappointed. But what I would also say is within that range of responses, there's people who are probably, you know, no, they're definitely not using, even though they're saying very disappointed or somewhat disappointed, they're not using the application that actively or paying for a subscription. So to me, there's a, a conflict or, uh, between the answer and then the actual use of the platform. So that's one thing that's that stuck out to me. Um, the other one is surprisingly, not surprisingly, actually it's very obvious, is uh, still the biggest driver for a lot of people is using the transcription. So a lot of people are signing up for this as the core purpose. And even when you look at, ask for what competitors were they you know, consider using, it's very, you know, very obvious that they're... Can you hear me now? Sorry, my microphone cut out for a sec. Very obvious that they're you know, doing their analysis of a, of a transcription product. And there's two things that stick out to me here, which is, you know, there's selfishness that has always perpetrated from Vatsal and I on our side, which is um, we don't just want to be a transcription company. We really care about the analysis side. Um, but a lot, there's a lot of people who core at a core level value the transcription. And so we really need to make sure that that is fully serviceable and valuable from both a cost standpoint and then also usability and results and accuracy uh, and everything there. Um, that's one thing that's sort of sticking out to me. And then the, off the opportunity, which we're, we haven't capitalized on, but should be, which is there's a lot of people asking for different languages. Um, and that's a really powerful way for us to both scale up our, our customer base very quickly and also do some really uh, fantastic things from a marketing perspective. Um, so it's sort of prioritize that drive for us to include in, improve the entire and transcription flow while including more languages. So I'll stop there for a sec. Those are a couple high level things that I've seen so far. Sure. Like why don't we add the languages? Like we've been, it's in the, it's available. We I agree. Just, I would say, to be honest, it based on what we're seeing here, it's like, I would say possibly poor prioritization uh, from our side. And also because we have cared so much about the analysis, the analysis part isn't necessarily language uh, as wide as the language reach. So do we sacrifice, for example, the analysis part for being able to ingest all these different languages? And then if you're using the product and you're not getting insights back because we're not doing the language analysis, then how does the product not necessarily fit or, you know, what poor possibly user experience if you go to the dashboard and it's empty or the explore page and it's empty. So the other thought is we either need to um, build our natural language processing to be able to take on as many languages as possible, or we actually go for more simplistic methods of transcription analysis. So instead of using named entity recognition to cluster the most popular keywords, for example, we actually do more of a simple approach, which is basically word counting. And you don't need to then be language um, specific to do that. You would just count the, the most instances of something within that transcript or across multiple media files. Hmm. I guess it's also kind of difficult for us to like cater to those people because like there's probably a lot of languages uh, we don't speak 
So you can't really do a lot of uh, quality assurance there. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like maybe th this is something we've, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how long you, you folks have been, um, you know, going back and forth on this or talking about it and trying to figure out, you know, how speak can be the most useful to people. But uh, that is definitely something I, I think ever since I joined as well was something that I think was a recurring topic, right? About how most of the use cases, most of our big contracts, um, even just generally the people coming in to use uh, our software are looking for um, mainly the transcription elements. And then once they're in the system, uh, to explore the transcription elements, that's when we've been able to expand and uh, showcase the other elements of the platform. But you know, as much as we want to be a, let's say, analysis tool, I, I think if, if we were to do a little hierarchy, we'd be transcription tool first, and then analysis tool second, right? And and it, that that's kind of how we see a lot of our. Uh, a lot of our clients, a lot of our customers, a lot of people that just have questions about our platform, that's that's normally how they see the platform as well. Because uh, like you said, most of the feedback, for example, we got on the forum was, I don't recall seeing too much about the analysis almost. Like I think maybe one, but like, you know, like you said, like it, it's, it was from someone that likes us and, and like really has a deep understanding of like the platform and what the platform can do. But for people that are maybe more, uh, you know, not not power users, uh, they only really see the transcription side of the platform as truly useful to them. Uh, so you know, it, it it does beg the question sometimes of even if the market is saturated uh, to a degree, is there a is is that still a core driver? Uh, you know, since there's no perfect solution. Uh, for anyone really, uh, like every uh, transcri automated transcription platform has its pros, has its cons. It's just a matter of finding the people that you know like your pros more than uh, more than the other platforms. And then from there, you know, a you grow your user base that way, and act actively start figuring out what it is that they're looking to do with these transcripts that they've they've collected, right? someone has six months worth of transcripts now stored in the platform, how do we bring more value out of those transcripts to them, right? Is it through repurposing? Is it through just data viz? Is it through, um, you know, actively surfacing insights that they can find useful, right? And I feel like maybe that will help in the evolution and growth of, uh, of the tool's direction as well. Yeah, and even, uh, I mean, you touched on uh, like repurposing um, one of the, like, it's, it's interesting because there's an amazing talk by someone in Y Combinator, uh, and they talk about how Facebook hit its first true growth and what the biggest driver of that was translation, uh, basically. So localization of content. And, um, you know, we actually see this in two ways, which is if we add in more language capabilities into our system, we actually giving our customers ability to repurpose in different languages. And we're also generating, again, a more, you know, an acquisition channel um, for us by providing that too. So, um, you know, one of the reasons why 
it's really interesting, but people are like in Facebook, like, or not like doing Facebook ads still. And there's a lot of challenges around how well that's going right now, but uh, in certain areas that are underserved ad, ad costs are really low and performance is really high because they're underserved areas in terms of ads being served. So um, there's entire markets that are not being served right now that we could have the opportunity to, with not that much change into our system, to be honest, serve. Uh, and so I definitely think it is something worth prioritizing. And it's not, it's not something that, you know, obviously we have a small sample set here, but it's not, um, made up out of air or imagination. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's a need. And I, I think it's something that you, you talk about too, Nihal, which is like, why if people say, for example, the transcription market alone, is just completely saturated and competitive and done. Why are there net new people every single day typing transcribe audio to video and not knowing what solutions are out there and at least testing our system and multiple systems. So it still seems like there's a net new problem that is being produced for people that they might be facing for the first time ever, where there's still a lot of opportunity for you to provide value there. And then, you know, hopefully differentiate yourself in other ways along, you know, along that path to, um, to, to, to produce more value and make people want to stay in and use your system. And hopefully then I think build loyalty. Because one of the things that I've seen, especially more talking to investors, I mean, with customers, we see it too, which is like, there's other solutions out there. So why would I use yours? Especially say if your permanent cost is higher than others. But then when I've had talks with the investors, honestly, as soon as they heard the word transcription or speech to text, it's almost like, uh, it's like shuddering, you know, like, it's like, I don't want to compete or I don't want to be part of a company in this market because it's already done. And, and, but yet we're seeing as someone in that market and through customer adoption that that market is not done. And in fact, it's growing quite quickly, uh, continuing today. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's tough because I think, you know, sometimes when you want to go after a, you know, when you're, when you're maybe considered a small fish in a much larger, larger pond, uh, there's a investors tend to look at you know competitors and look at their market share and discount you know the work you do just because it's like oh these people already have you know x amount of the market or they've already raised x amount right they are positioned to scale their pricing like by this much uh, but I think no matter how big uh, an organization gets, uh, there's always a gap and there will always be gaps in the market, right? Uh, and I, I think it's like that interesting case of Microsoft. Granted, you know, the search market is huge, but I have a, a buddy that works at Microsoft and he worked on the MSN team, uh, actually. And, you know, I, I was just like joking with him about how, you know, like who even uses MSN and like, why is Bing still alive, right? And because anytime anyone enters a search game, you know, like people are like, oh, like Google owns, you know, 94% of the market share, 92%, whatever it is. Um, but then you, you look at the entire market and I, I believe the search uh, advertising and search engine market is uh, worth something like $100 billion or uh, something like that, 100. And 
Microsoft with Bing owns 5% of the market, but that 5% brings them $5 billion in revenue, right? Uh, so from like an investor standpoint, they're like, oh, you only own 5% of the market. But depending on the, what was the um, term, the T? Damn, total addressable yeah. market. Yeah, the total addressable market, right? Depending on that market, even 1% could be significant, right? Uh, but sometimes I feel like it's it's difficult for certain people to see over that hump because um, everyone wants, you know, over 50. They want you to be a monopoly, ideally. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how most uh, investors look at, at uh, investments. It, it seems to be sometimes just also, like, I wouldn't say re re repulsion, re repul yeah, but like uh, some people just, like they see Amazon, for example, as a provider, which obviously has amazing speech to text solutions, but like they don't want to work with Amazon. They want to work with a provider who, you know, there is some sort of, maybe, maybe I don't know if it's a softer touch because it's still at a core level. We're still a software company, but maybe there's a level of approachability or feeling like if you, uh, you know, if something's not working or you need support that you're going to get help from a real person um, or even just that there's a software interface that you can interact with instead of having to go through Amazon's, uh, you know, very uh, convoluted sometimes. They do their best job, but back end to manage any of that data and stuff. So I think there's still a lot of opportunities. And then when I, you know, talk, I've talked about too much, but just like opportunities, for example, bulk management of media that isn't possible in other systems where just that feature alone or that ability is creating, you know, tens, if not hundreds of hours of work. And if you can remove that with this quick optimization, all of a sudden that's a huge win for everyone involved. So I think there is, there's a lot of, um, a lot of room left there. And I think, you know, as we need to um, be people who are not always, um, you know, thinking about the future and actually looking at what is today and practical and creating value for our customers and then actually getting real feedback about what that is. We need, you know, if we're truly customer obsessed, then we need to then deprioritize other things that we're thinking about and prioritize things that our customers care about most. So uh, I guess, Lauren, you took a quick look at that. Is anything else standing out for you uh, from a quick, quick high level view? Uh, it didn't really make a lot of sense, to be honest. Like, I kept on <laughs> saying, like, I picked up on categorizing these things. I was like very disappointed. But when they actually like, typed out their answers, it's like there's nothing disappointing about this at all. So maybe I just got confused by the the questions, but yeah, I'll look through it some more. There's some uh, some other interesting points, but yeah. For the clarity on your part, they're saying very disappointed if speak ceased to exist. So they're saying a positive, so yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's, there's, they're, they're saying that they would be, you know, sad if, if speak was no longer there. So I just think, unfortunately, some people are thinking speak, maybe not unfortunately, some people are thinking speak the team or brand or people behind the company and not necessarily the product itself. So I wish, uh, you know, again, I had just not enforced, I don't know how you enforce that, but like, as we sort of prime people to answer the survey, it was like, be as mean and brutal, be squid game, you know, be let's, let's, let's go deep and cut us. I want to cry when I read this form. That's what I was hoping for. And then instead, sometimes we got a, some flowers, you know, and uh, it's a little bit too soft of answers. And just like anything, you know, that people give sort of these in life, there's this idea of like compliment sandwiches, you know, give one thing good, then, you know, and, and then, or two of the good things then pack something top, top in there. I would prefer, yeah, I guess no, no pieces of bread. I just want the meat of what's, what's wrong and how can we improve this? So, um, okay. I think then with that, we can, uh,
move on, move on. Again, I'm good. Uh, I guess uh, it's like a self-imposed topic by Lauren, uh, but maybe, you know, Lauren, you have a couple of questions or just maybe some thoughts for Nihal as he sort of tries to execute on a content strategy and plan and then bring some people in to help. So maybe you can set that up for Nihal and we can see if uh, there's anything valuable that uh, we, can, we can chat about there. Yeah, sure. I was just curious about like what uh, specific topics you want to write about. How often are you going to be writing about these things and uh you know why you're doing this what do you expect to get out of all of this and you know just uh just to explain like there's you know a lot more of a i'm assuming it's kind of like a blog that's going to be coming and posted on the website and uh just kind of curious what kind of topics you want to cover there and uh why that's better to be done in writing than like you know chat over these uh, office hours i suppose yeah so uh, i find any time with content um, ideally it ends up being something that you can reuse, uh, in different scenarios. So, um, you know, my kind of understanding of, and how I maybe I'm trying to approach this as well is, uh, on our website, for example, there's usually different types of content that serve different purposes, right? So we'll have landing pages that are very geared towards, um, jobs to be done right and like two of the previous landing page strategies that i executed on kind of had that focus so you know um person wants to do a very specific thing uh let's say you know convert audio to text and then you create a series of landing pages around uh different jobs to be done that are are basically the same but it's just the way people search for it very slightly right so one person's trying to convert mp3 to text the other person is trying to convert MP4 to text, but the essence is the same, right? But in order to capture that traffic, you just need to put a page out there that tells people about your product, um, kind of explains the benefits or why they might want to use your product, and then hopefully get them to sign up through those pages. And you know, rankings and traffic and all are kind of part of that that um, that entire bucket. And then this. A second element is more on the educational and I guess top of funnel side. So like a lot of the landing pages that were created are very middle or bottom of the funnel. So these are people that are looking for a very specific thing, right? They are looking to do something while some of the articles I'm trying to get written um, now are more for informational and uh, educational purposes. So more about positioning ourselves as having uh, relevant knowledge about some of the jobs, some of the questions, and some of the problems uh, a couple of our customers might have. Uh, so it, it was kind of just inspired by the fact that, you know, we are seeing a bit of adoption in specific industries. For example, let's, let's say qualitative research or market research, where um, we are seeing that we're, we serve a need um, that is a pretty huge need, right? Like it, it, for, for, for some of these companies, if we're able to save them even, you know, 20% of the time, uh, that's a lot of money, uh, to them. And, you know, it, it makes us feel good that we're actually providing a useful service, um, for individuals. So, uh, yeah. So in, in terms of topics that will be written over the next, you know, three months as part of this experiment, they're more in line with, you know, these like guides or um, general topics that people uh, 
might be interested in and might find value in reading. So, you know, uh, one of the first ones that, uh, you know, I'm still working on getting published is just about data transcription in qualitative research, right? So it's, it's going to be this, like, I think it's almost like 3,000 words or 2,500 words, uh, just talking about, you know, what is data transcription in qualitative research, why you need data transcription, uh, you know, the different types of transcription, like whether you need verbatim or do you need like cleaned transcripts, uh, how exactly you can order those services. And obviously, you know, when you do that, you kind of plug your service, you plug your product, but it's not the main focus, right? So landing pages are very sales heavy. And these blog posts are just more about general education. And then if you want to test this out, here's a link to our product, right? Uh, so some of the topics I'm covering, for example, over the next month, hopefully, are, uh, you know, so this first one is what is data transcription? The next one's going to be how to pick the right qualitative transcription service. Because, you know, I, I like to think that we're not all about, you know, just trying to get people's money. It's, it's also about... It's okay if you don't use us, but we'd like to help you make the best decision um, for your needs, right? So, you know, like that would be the case with something like how to pick the right qualitative transcription service, right? Because like, I'll be honest, if someone's just trying to, you know, record, maybe do like a voice journal, right? Like, like we don't give enough minutes uh, to validate like daily, like, I mean, we, we could, but it's just like, you know, generally someone that's doing that probably doesn't quite have the funds to pay for a software. So, you know, in that situation, we're more than happy to, you know, talk about the other transcription services that are maybe just more focused on voice to text and that's it. That's where it ends. Right. Uh, but then if they're looking for more in-depth uh, management and team management tools, that's when a service like ours would come in. Then the other one is kind of like why you should use uh, market research transcription services. Because I'm sure there's a bunch of teams out there that maybe do it in-house or maybe have their researchers uh, doing the transcription, which in all honesty, when, you know, based on the salaries of a lot of knowledge workers and data scientists, like imagine paying someone, I mean, it's still good work, but if, if you're paying, you know, your data scientist by the hour, for example, you know, let's say 50 bucks an hour to manually transcribe a file. It's probably not the best use of their brain and it's probably not the best use of their time either, right? It's not something that they'll probably enjoy. Then how to do market research for your small business because, you know, uh, we're a small business and I think we have insights that we can provide to um, other small businesses, even in the more traditional space, right? That could utilize market trans uh, data transcription and just transcription in general. And this one's kind of just, you know, one of those listicles, 10 market research tools you should add to your software stack. Article after that's just going to be a general guide to the marketing research process and then a simple guide on the marketing research process. So we'll have like a very comprehensive one. And then maybe something that we can turn into like an infographic or, you know, quick shares for people that don't have time to read like a 3000 word mega article. So but that's kind of the first, first phase of this, um, this, this experiment. And I mean, very clearly focused on a specific market, in this case, market researchers, because we think what we have to offer a lot of these market researchers could not only solve them, uh, save them time and money, but 
will actually improve their overall quality of like the research, their research process. And, uh, you know, it, I think having users like that using our platform as well will really help us improve the product as well. Because anytime we've had power users come into the platform, I, I, I feel like it's actively pushed us forward into building, uh, you know, either better features, additional features, and just a better product overall. So I'd say, obviously, traffic and all these metrics as a marketer, those are like nice vanity metrics for me. But at the end of the day, it's just about trying to find or trying to help people find us and, you know, hopefully um, providing good value to them, but also from our end, learning from them and seeing what, you know, how we can improve and be, be the best product uh, that they, I guess, best tool and product that they can integrate into their, their general workflow. Yeah, that was a uh, very in-depth, wonderful summary. Uh, Lauren, I feel like you must be satisfied from that answer. Any, any other things that you think? No, that uh, sounds wonderful. The, the, uh, yeah. How has been uh, working with the writer uh, been so far? Like, what do you have them focused on, like, first off the bat? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you know, we're working with a really nice, uh, nice writer. Um, and he, you know... Uh, the first thing I just wanted to see was kind of his ability to research and do like a more in-depth piece. And, you know, he, he's excelled at doing that, which is great. Uh, and it's, it's been kind of neat from my end. Uh, I've been, you know, been able to play editor a little bit and uh, do a bit of editing work, uh, process management. Uh, I guess I technically hired someone, so that was also fun. Um, and... Yeah, you know, part, part of this process too is I, I feel like at a certain point it would be nice, um, for example, you know, if if you create that scenario where you're no longer around, right? It doesn't mean you've left. It's just, you know, you're not necessarily at that doing that work anymore. Is it easy to pass that work on to someone else with established processes, procedures, and, you know, templates, let's say, where now work that took you, you know, 30 hours, 40 hours to prepare for now becomes a repeatable process that only takes someone, let's say five hours to go from like point A to point B, right? And I think building that, that process is, is a great learning experience for me as well, just from a project management and uh, process uh, development perspective as well, uh, which, which I think is, is good for us in the short and long term, right? The sooner we can build knowledge bases, the sooner we can build SOPs, um, we won't run into any, I mean, we will run into problems, but hopefully the pains from scaling will be less when that time comes, right? Because let's say, you know, we have to take on other responsibilities within, uh, within the company at a certain point. How could you pass off your responsibilities to someone else um, without leaving them, you know, without leaving them hanging? It's like, here's, here's like a, uh, almost like a, a guidebook on how you can execute the same things that I did. Uh, and then, you know, you can just come to me anytime you run into like major roadblocks instead of how do I do, you know, steps A to Z. We tell them how to do steps A to Z. And then if anything happens outside that, then they, they can just, uh, just ask any of us. A couple of things that I think are, are you know, 
more on your uh, the first question that Lauren asked you about. Um, uh, I'm sure you're probably looking at them, but some like UPM tracking codes to see where people are coming from and what articles they're, uh, you know, but also just like we use intercom and if, if someone spends, you know, three minutes, five minutes reading uh, a bunch of articles on market research, we could prompt a message through intercom or something like that, right? So there's lots of, uh, through the content piece, there's a lot of opportunities to create you know, understand what someone's looking for and then help them help them when they need it in a valuable way. Um, so I think those are other things that, that, that I'm excited about. And again, just have seen a trend of, you know, Neil's worked really hard from an organic search perspective, even with perspective, even when dealing with Elementor and uh, you know, that heavy beast of WordPress. Um, and we've still seen, uh, you know, it was more sort of month over month growth in organic search and people come into our system. So those are valuable trends that we want to continue on. And What's nice is when you invest in content, that's, you know, it's an investment in something that will continue to sit on your page and hopefully grow as long as it's good content instead of what we're seeing. Like, I forget what the exact term was, but it was like 75% of, for example, a venture back company spend is going to Google ads and Facebook ads. And, uh, you know, if I was to say we get that same amount of money, what Nihal's built from a process perspective, that's where our money is going to go. It might not get the, you know, the, the quick you know, uh, uh, burn and churn and, and thing that sometimes uh, maybe an investor is going to look for, but in the, in the end, we're going to create a much more valuable company that produces value and people care about. So um, that's something I get really excited about. And the spaces that we're creating content around, I just, I don't want to go anywhere. Like you were, this macro trend that we're in line with at Speak of continually increasing amounts of media and needing to, you know, navigate and derive insights from and just transcribe, try, transcribe them, make them more accessible. Like I, I just, something, unless we, again, all start implanting Neuralink in our head in the next few years, it's just not going anywhere. So I, I would love to continue to build our own expertise on that and start to provide value there. And this is not what I want to be, but it's almost like a technology, you know, enabled research company um, uh, where we're providing value and almost sort of service and consulting through our educational resources and then giving you the tool and solution to then execute on everything that you've learned. So um, I hope that makes sense. Uh, and then I guess just a couple uh, other, sort of two other things that we had um, on the topic today. One of them I was really excited about, which is a, you know, sort of a kick project that we're kicking off, which also is actually working with a, a market research company. And you said something of when, you know, Neil, when we get new customers and when they come through things like this, what is nice is then you're building products or solutions based off like at least validated customer needs. You know, maybe our customer could be wrong. Be honest, that's a possibility. Hopefully not if they're a market research company and they're doing their own validation to ask for a solution and then it's our job to, to guide it through. But it, it's nice when we bring in the right target people and then the things that they ask are valuable for them and then repeatable to the same use cases that we're building content for and continue to hope to drive people into the into the system. So that's a really exciting thing. We'll share more on that, but I think it's some really op amazing opportunities to take media that you're putting into speak into like a research engine that you can share uh, share with others. And that's a pretty, pretty exciting thing. So uh, the other two things, I guess anything before these last couple points, is there anything that you guys that sort of popped up during this conversation that you want that you want to chat about? Cool. Um, then we'll, let's talk about this, I guess, this global affairs deal book. Because this is Lauren, you put this in and I was just thinking about that when you put it. And uh, 
It is, to be honest, it's a privilege um, to be included in this. Uh, it's a, a deal book put out by the government of Canada for you know companies that they've vetted and support. And uh, I think maybe it seems like this is the fall one, so maybe they do a quarterly one and they send it out to all the investors across uh, sort of an international level. And you basically get uh, what it's a one pager, but it's actually a two pager because of the nice formatting to summarize who you are as a company what you're looking for in terms of support and then you know I, you know obviously a little bit of highlighting of who the the founders of the company are but then some top takeaways that sort of uh you know show that a company's on a good spot traction and all these things and we do have sort of our current draft prepared we got a draft of this deal book and we have a little bit of time to make some edits before the final one goes published and would love to uh you know if either of you guys have any feedback or anything that you think we should be improving. And I think we're gonna have a more official session to get this because I think this is an important opportunity, but maybe just some things to think about uh, over the weekend or as we're going into the weekend to prepare um, for the final draft on uh, on Monday. So, so, I mean, from my end, I think one thing that was interesting from, you know, reading through some of the other um, entries in the deal book the ones that really stood out to me were very story heavy, like instead of, you know, just because I think uh, myself included, like we had this perspective that, oh, the steel book has to be like, uh, just one, two, three, you know, just bullet points. But from kind of looking at the formatting, the layout, and how some of the other people have approached these, um, this uh, one pager, I, I feel like, you know, going more the route of user user stories and um, how we've impacted or how we hope to impact people's lives and, you know, professional lives um, is as important as some of the metrics that we throw in there, right? Because obviously at the end of the day, the investors want the metrics to match up, but I, I do feel like ambition and just passion about your project um should speak through because that's that's kind of like the one impression you have to give right because that will hopefully lead to a phone call it's not like the other way around where you hop on a phone call and then send them a summary right so um, so i think it would be interesting to see if we can maybe inject a bit more of that personality and you know uh the company company vision and passion into the uh into this this deal book as well very interesting to see. I would say they have ranges from how much a company is like looking to raise and very different, I would say, like descriptions of the companies even based on that. And then, I mean, and then at higher levels, you see some very impressive, impressive metrics. You know, like the story part is there, but then it's a lot of it is on revenue and growth and, and things like that. And then you see in the earlier stage companies raising maybe smaller amounts of money, um, you know, much more maybe focus on the story. And then I would say one of the things that stuck out to me, almost every company that had, I mean, a, a, I guess a compelling one uh, did include the, like the total addressable market. And basically highlighted for sure that this is a massive market because um you know a lot of times when investors are vetting a company they know how many things can go wrong but like you said earlier and you know it's like if the, if the market is you know 500 billion dollars then uh, a small chunk of that is still a massive piece and most likely you know there is uh then uh I would say like an exit scenario where another company is going to get annoyed enough to just buy you or whatever uh kind of kind of thing happens there and then 
other one was good was too was sort of the monthly growth. That was another one that stuck out to me over the last people use the time frame of six months to show monthly growth, um, which again, that's good for us. We're, you know, continuing to grow, you know, uh, quite nicely month over month. Uh, and that was one that was pretty clear in some of the nice, nicely laid out um, descriptions that month over month was a, a big one. And they used that six months. The one thing that you sort of said, Nihal, is like, I don't know if there's a spot for it, but like, it would be so nice to just include, like we have one of the, to me, one of the crispiest customer quotes. Um, and it's like, I wish we could just figure out a spot and naturally insert that. I don't know if that's possible, but telling the story and showing that we're actually in a way like focused on our customers and delivering value there instead of um, the, the opposite uh, around there. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. Um, there is the opportunity for the slide deck. Checked out a couple of the slide decks that were in there. That's really interesting. I do love the tool DocSend. So sending like a dedicated global affairs DocSend link. Uh, and what you said, Nihal, which is, is this weird conflict um, that I'm, I'm hearing as I'm learning um, as I'm talking to people, as I'm seeing people view our slide deck and just hearing from investors, which is uh, what information do you want to include in the slide deck? You know, uh, because right now it's actually a pretty, we have a pretty heavy one that includes a lot, a lot of information. So at the end of the thing, you probably feel pretty educated uh, about it. Um, but it, because you almost are maybe so satisfied with the information, either you've already sort of made this assessment whether you know, this is what I want to invest in or not. Whereas it might not be the, the main call to action at that point might not be like, okay, here's 10 short slides that are really compelling. And now I need to hop on a call because I need to learn more about what these guys are doing. So how can, you know, thinking how I might modify this slide deck because I'll just be able to update this slide deck at any time for this global affairs. How can I use that both in the slide deck and then also in the description? One thing that I've seen is like our description right now is shorter than a lot of the other ones. So is that a good thing? or a bad thing. It's like, you can get, I get into it all the time, word vomits where I'm just talking too much and all of a sudden the impact is lost. I'm doing it right now. Uh, so um, how can we try to include that in our description and slide deck to make this a successful deliverable if investors start looking through the slide deck and then seeing our company? Just uh, one other thing that's interesting, like I really tried to, that one of the things that's nice is to ask what you're seeking for. And one of the things that we've heard which is a very true thing, which is say, if you are looking for investment from someone, investors are very different people, different stages, early stage investors, late stage investors, angel investors versus VC versus uh, hedge funds versus family offices. And if we don't treat people with the nuance that they have, then we're failing to do our job. And it's also up to us to include investors that we actually wanna to talk to and exclude the ones that we don't. Otherwise we're just wasting everyone's time. So when we're looking into the seeking part and sort of laying out who's the perfect investor for us, really trying to make that clear. And we try to do that from what they're interested in and what they've executed on in the past. And then also, even if they're looking to do an investment, here's the type of structure of the deal um, that we're looking for. And uh, who in mind do you have for that? Just uh, software companies and SaaS companies that they've uh, invested in, in the past? Yeah, I think there's more work that we could do. Like I put specifically AI, natural language processing, analytics, SaaS, and then B2B to C, because we have sort of this element where there are sort of solo entrepreneurs and individuals coming in to use our system. Obviously, there's a big B2C, a B2B part of our business, but we do still have this pretty easy entry point for anyone to come and use our product. So how can we 
have someone with that experience who figures out, you know, who's done work with self-serve kind of companies, but then has also figured out how to take that same software and then grow it into larger businesses, enterprise contracts, uh, and things like that. And ideally, someone who has connections in this space who's going to connect us with really good advisors or customers or if, you know, later on that if they are looking for, you know, an exit or an acquisition or to get more resources through something like that, that there's connections and relationships already built to make that much easier. Okay, sorry. So like what's the actual uh, process with this global affairs book? Is it just a matter of, you know, posting your, um, you know, your deal book pretty much uh, and like your ask and all that and then just advertising investors take a look and, and that's about it things like canada government has a pre-vetted list of um, investors who are I, i'm guessing organized by industries and probably check size and everything that they're you know that they're they're doing and so i'm guessing it's a pretty highly qualified list um, based on how much work they're making sure to do to polish it up and i'm guessing it'll be an email blast um I don't know if there'd be any targeting advertising or anything like that, but really that's the, the main, the main driver. So again, our, for us, it's almost what Nihal is doing with content. It's like, how can we drive a bunch of inbound leads um, for investors, um, you know, maybe who are interested in investing right now, but then maybe we even still, you know, we should be, they're seeing the traction through this description. So there's later stage investors who are then interested if we were wanting to raise money at a later round too. So that, that's the, the main goal though, is someone who sees our company, fits the profile of investor that we're looking for and, um, and get them to actually want to reach out and have a phone call uh, with us where hopefully I can articulate uh, what we're doing well enough that they're willing to invest in the, in the company. Um, yeah. So that, that's, I mean, that's a big part. I, I did, I, you know, I'm still not sure about like what I tried to um, structure in this document was like, we're going for like a standardized post money safe, um, which is something I've been recommended by many founders who have raised money successfully. And then I would say, I would say more um, high profile investors. So there's a lot of investors who are in this sort of middle area where they do not like that. They think those terms are too founder friendly. Um, and they would much rather do a convertible note. Um, but there is a, a large subsect of very, you know, legit investors who are now used to this kind of investment and the safe is a very good way for you to know that you are now have, you are becoming partners in this journey together. And that's uh, the way that we want to structure it. So what I've learned through some of this process is we want to set the terms build excitement around the deal and then execute on that instead of wavering or asking investors to build the terms for us. That just creates uncertainty across the whole time. It takes cognitive load and then you end up with a term sheet that's not even what anyone wants anyways. So um, learned a lot throughout this process of the last I think four, four months or, or so. And now we're setting ourselves up for, I think a much more well-structured um, concise way to raise money um, and find the right people to, to support us on our journey. Okay. Ah, okay. I don't know what the talk time would be on this. I'd say, you know, Nihal had some good stuff here, maybe 30% Nihal, 50% Tyler. Okay, uh, it's 1251. Uh, I don't have anything really else. I'm, I just, I'll, I'll quickly share this. This is a problem I'm trying to figure out, which is, 
so this is, and then this is, I mean, I think this will speak to something that we're talking about, which is solving, which this is a transcript of uh, a, a long time ago, um, uh, Joe Rogan podcast with Paul Stanich. And instead of, you know, basically converted that into a text file, and then now the analysis of speak is being run on it. And this is just like an unwieldy amount of information, 22,000 words. And there's like some analysis, there's some value that be like value, like valuable stuff happening already with sort of sentiment and helping filter and find the most positive and negative. But like overall, I'm just like still not happy with how can we make this information more digestible? And there's like, you know, there's good things where you can jump and tap to, to like specific moment and really like sort of surface through things quickly. And I was thinking like, you know, do we display the sentences that are, for example, like instead of showing just a button, do we show the actual sentence? And then like the want to is bolded. So you can see the keyword and phrase within the sentence, but then this is still becomes an unwieldy amount of information. So um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts. I apologize for showing you this right at the end. This is just like something I'm trying to figure out for especially larger audio and video files. And then something like this, where this was a three hour podcast. And how do you, you know, navigate through to find the exact moments? How do you just sort of get the high level information? Because one thing we've seen from audio and video, which a lot of companies who are doing, I would say there's Fireflies, I think maybe Otter's moving towards it, Microsoft Teams. For example, they're pulling action items out of, uh, of you know, audio, basically audio or video, because that's a valuable thing. But how do you do that on a layer of text? So if you're writing, you know, if you're doing unstructured writing yourself, or you're pulling in a bunch of even text data, or then you're converting an audio and video file to a transcript that you make um, the analysis more valuable and you get the things that matter. So I, I won't uh, keep showing that up. I'm going to switch the screen. I promised anyone who hates looking at that green. Um, but it's just, I guess, any thoughts on this? Because it's a challenge that obviously we're facing as we deal with large amounts of information. But this is the, I think, underlying problem that we're seeing happen right now. Um, so yeah, I'd love to have any thoughts. I know that wasn't part of our topic here, but just was something I was been thinking about. Like, what's the problem? Like, there's too much information. You don't know how to organize it. Yeah, like. Um, that's yeah, like twenty-two thousand words. What is is the is the most important thing that you get a summary? Like, is it just like, do we want? Is it two hundred fifty character, two hundred fifty words summary of this? That's the most valuable. Is are the buttons that we're displaying are they even valuable? Because and then you can click and navigate through. Should we be showing the full sentences or should we be showing more representative information where it's you know the most named you know most named things or things like that or even one thing that I saw that was really interesting was um, a text analysis tool. And instead of just showing keywords or phrases, it showed the most popular times that, for example, a, a five words were together. So this was like a repeated thing, but it wasn't just, you know, Toronto mentioned five times. It was, you know, I went to the beach and then that was the phrase that was actually extracted and shown. It's like, wow, this person said that specific thing five times. This is obviously important. So there's better ways to sift through and display this information, even with conditions of must contain five words and then display that we can figure out how to sift through this large amount of information. And 22,000 words isn't even that much. We've had people come to us with data sets of 2 million words. And, and how do you process that? Um, so just, you know, just more of a, a thought experiment on a Friday, I apologize. That. <laughs> yeah, I, I think some, 
And anytime I see larger articles or videos or data sets, um, I feel like my, my kind of first instinct is often, you know, go to the comments, right? Read someone's, like, let's say in a YouTube video, what is the top comment, right? Um, because usually, uh, on assuming it's not like an entertainment-based video, for example, like if it's a podcast or a, uh, a research talk, whatever it is, the top comment is normally, you know, here's a summary of like this person's top five points with timestamps and uh, maybe the person's added thoughts on top of it, right? So content summarization is definitely one element. A second element I, I can think of is, you know, you give me, let's say this data viz, right? Of here's all this data that we've surfaced from this data set. Um, have you considered, you know, do you want to turn this into a video, you know, like a short video clip? Do you want to turn this into a audiogram? Do you want a article outline, uh, you know, so you can write about this article, right? Like these are very nuanced and complicated processes to probably build. But I feel like that's that's where my brain kind of goes because like, you know, like let's say you read a really good book. Um, but then by the time you've read this book and, you know, in, uh, digested all this information, I feel like is your brain really in a state where you're coherently, or um, there are people, but I feel like the vast majority of people aren't able to coherently just put down all the things they loved and all the things they want to keep from that book they read. Um, and any assistive aids that help you improve your ability to do that, I think would be very valuable to people, right? Like even something like, you know, you were testing out Microsoft Presenter Coach or whatever it's called recently. And, you know, there were metrics in there that I didn't even think, like there are just things that obviously when you present and learn about presentations and do presentations um, frequently, those are things you just learn naturally. But as someone that is trying to improve those metrics, you don't think about things like, oh, are you talking to fa too fast, right? Are you using filler words too many times? Are you, um, you know, reading off the slides? I thought that was an interesting, an interesting one, right? Uh, and these are things that, once again, isn't something a lot of people care about, but I think the people that are, for example, more willing to pay for solutions anyways, are people that care deeply about specific problems. So even if, you know, if to some, if you find the people where giving them the ability to synthesize two hours worth of data and information into, you know, 10 minutes in a meaningful way, I feel like people that care about that would be the people that are willing to pay whatever that costs, right? Even if it's just to be an innovator, to be someone that benefits from that service, right? Um, you think about a service like Readwise, where their entire business model is uh, save pieces of information that matter to you, and we will surface them at you know repeated intervals, so that you can ingest that information. And uh, you know, I tried it out; it was cool. But at a certain point, I'm like, there's still too much work required from my end. Right. It's I need to highlight this. I need to send it to Readwise. I need to set up my Readwise frequency. Um, so it would be kind of neat to have something that 
I mean, I don't know how this would work, but like how the same way Spotify has an algorithm that learns your music taste, it would be interesting to see if you could take all these data sets and kind of uh, based on usage and, you know, read time that let's say someone spends five minutes reading one particular passage, you know, just automatically inferring that that is an important piece of information for them. And then building, um, I guess, recommended uh, recommended content within your own personal library, right? Uh, sorry, I'm on a bit of a ramble now, but there's this music software called Rune. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Rune is, once again, it's for audiophiles, right? It's for people that have large personal music libraries. So these are people that have either ripped CDs, ripped finals, have things you don't find on streaming services. And what what Rune lets you do is actually connect to any audio source in your house, assuming you have like a Rune nucleus, is what they call it, uh, attached to it. Um, but the more interesting element of it is it can actually, it basically becomes like a Wikipedia for your personal mu music library. So it'll give you a bunch of related information about the artist. It'll give you uh, similar artists. It'll give you, um, you know, uh, all, all this information that is related to this core topic that you're interested in. And it builds that purely from all the information that you've uploaded over time to this platform, right? So, so it, it creates a very personalized algorithm for you that extends beyond just how many times do you stream something or, you know, what kinds of artists you listen to. It actually looks at what is important to you and gives you information that you would most likely benefit from and care about. So I think those are some interesting things that can be done with even things on like the business side and uh, language data sets, but I would not know how to execute on any of those. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, yes, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, that part's important, I guess. But, uh, you know, a couple of interesting things that just sort of poked out as you were, you know, sort of talked about that, which is like, uh, I mean, you're much more concise of a writer than me. So that's a, a good skill that you've built. But like one of the things I'm, uh, I'll write an email and I'll, I'll realize when there's this threshold, when I've crossed, there's too much information in this. And then, and then I'll, and so like, it'll be a list of things. And I say, oh, I need to convert this paragraph list into numbered bullet points um, or numbered list. And then, um, you know, if you are scanning this email and I don't print a bolded header, in this, then the comprehension is going to go down. Or if I need to be quick and look at this email and find out some matter to me, then doing it. So like, even as you're sort of saying that we, we've become used to maybe sort of like chapters and uh, on YouTube and audio and video, which is already like, I'm sure changed so many people's lives by allowing them to navigate, but how can you do that across any information to produce really relevant, valuable stuff? So um, I think those are good. I don't have too much more to say to that, to be honest. Those are two, a couple really good points. I think the other part that you're saying, uh, Nihal, which is like, how do you then validate that you've done it right? Um, which is like, if we were to produce a summary and it was, you know, a 250 word summary with um, the main topics outlined and then five bullet points that were representative of that information, how do you build the understanding through the system that you've actually produced something of value? Um, so you need a feedback loop with your customer and that could be that they manually verify that this was a valuable summary, or it's something like YouTube where it's like watch time 
you know, basically, oh, they actually engaged with this summary or they shared this summary. That's an indicator that this was a valuable one versus one that failed to do the, the job that it was doing. Lauren, you done? Yeah. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, think, out. he's on the yeah, forest already. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> the, uh, you know, the other thing I remember is like reading book, you know, when you had to do book assignments in English class growing up and you didn't read the book and, you know, you'd have to, I forget what it was, good notes or whatever it was. And it's like the day before the exam or you just like, spark notes. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I don't know what happened in this book and there's no way I'm reading all 12 hours of this uh, over the next, you know, two days. So let's read these spark notes and get a summary and then try to bullshit yourself through the exam. And generally with that summary, you could execute pretty well on, uh, on that exam as long as some pretty general questions were asked. So there's a lot of questions around bias and what's being extracted and how you summarize things and the problems that can emerge. But I think at an overall glance, we're all running out of a time in a day. And if we can get the high level valuable information and drill down if we want, then um, there's, there's value that's being produced. So I think that's a continued journey that we're on and appreciate you guys taking a look at that uh, uh, in the dashboard there. So we're at 104. Um, any last words before we uh, close this one out? No? Happy oh. birthday, Vassal. That, that's what we love you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Love you, buddy. I uh, hope you're having a good day here. And I see, I see he's popping up in Slack doing something. So maybe he had a second nap. I don't know what time. Still trying to figure out the time zone difference there. But uh, miss you very much. Uh, I've taken over the house. Um, but uh, you can still have it when you come back. So thank you, Vatsal. Uh, Nihal, thanks for joining. Lauren, thank you for joining. And anyone who checked us out, hope you had a fantastic rest of the day. Bye.